Hey everybody and welcome along to this week's edition of the Irish Golfer Podcast. Brought to you this week in association with Allianz and uh, not joined by John Craven this week as usual. Delighted to be joined by past Ryder Cup captain and Allianz brand ambassador, Mr. Paul McGinley. Hey, nice to be here. How are you keeping? I'm good, thanks. Not too bad. How are you? Yeah, good, good. Yeah, Busy good, few weeks day for you. here when the K Club is absolutely stunning, isn't it? I left London this morning, it was torrential rain. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It really is a spectacular. I know it's a place that's close to your heart as well. Oh, yeah. A lot Great of special memories, memories here. here. Yeah, of course. Yeah, many, many, many memories. All the corporate stuff I did over the years, but obviously 06 as well, too, and the, uh, the Ryder Cup. So, Great memories, good to be back. That seems the owners have put a bit of cash behind yeah. the place as well. It really is back to its glory days. Oh, it is, yeah, yeah, it is. And uh, Mick has uh, invested a lot of money in here. I want to wish him the very, very best of luck here. It's great to see somebody investing so much into golf. And uh, golf's only up, isn't it? Things are going well. I mean, things are flying. So hopefully he's going to be able to ride the back of that wave. So I suppose we get straight stuck into the Ryder Cup. It's... Uh, it's a talking point this week, and you know, it took it took all your analysis up over the weekend as well. All my energy too. I've none left, so <laughs> the BMW was nearly forgotten about. It was just all Ryder Cup yeah. wormholes all week. But like, you know, home advantage. Not many away fans. Course set up to suit the home players as such. A marked edge in the world rankings for Americans on US Ryder Cup teams. So, going by the script, it's a, a one point win for Europe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good point. That's a that's a good opening. That's a good opening there. Maybe we should use that on Sky. Uh, yeah, of course. Look, it, it, odds against. Uh, you know, the bookies never really get things a whole lot wrong, do they? They have us as uh, as two to one outsiders. Uh, they're one to two. Um, that those odds might even lengthen um, as we get closer to it. The quality of the team, as you say, of the American team, and just look at the quality of who they left left out. That's really the indication. Um, so. Yeah, I think the one thing you, you missed out there from the opening was the variable is, is going to be the weather. And the fact that we're on Lake Michigan there, which is as big as the Irish Sea, um, and it really is more of a sea than a lake. Uh, it blows 30 mile an hour there regularly, 20, certainly 20, 15, 20 every day. And if you get some kind of warm, some kind of uh, squally showers, the hot squally shower and that big, strong crosswind. Now, that is something that will uh, equate uh, the skill sets of both teams. So, um Fingers crossed it's going to be uh, a little bit windy up there and that will certainly put things more in our favour. Those bookies odds, though, you don't read much into them. Oh, uh, well, I don't know. I mean... Uh, I know they're seldom wrong. Yeah, I mean, they, you know, we are outsiders, no doubt about that. This is, on paper, certainly, if you want to go by world rankings, um, this is an incredibly strong American team. Um, then, uh, I think if you put in the fact that they're fresh and they're young... And um, they're not really contaminated with the mindset of having lost so many Ryder Cups over the years. Um, and, and then you put on top of that, you know, a task force and a management team behind the scenes that have obviously learned lessons from Ryder Cups past. And uh, you can tell that just when Steve Stricker does his interviews that uh, uh, he, they're approaching things differently uh, than they might have had done in the past and certainly what, what they might have done in, in Paris. So I think we are really up against it, um, but certainly don't discount us, as you say. W- you know, we've, we've obviously got... Uh, uh, some of the best players in the world on our team. Um, we've got a, a young young guys coming through. There's you know Irish being one of them as rookies, but not really a rookie in the in the sense that uh, uh, you know the big occasion is certainly something we're not worried about in terms of Shane dealing with that. And um, you know Pardick's experience as captain and looking forward, we all we all know he's one of the brightest uh, minds in in the game of golf. And, and looking forward, how he applies that to being a captain. Do you think the lack of crowd that's going to be there, a European crowd um, that's going to be there? we can really use to our favour like they did in the Solheim Cup, get ahead early, 
try and get ahead early and really ramp up that pressure? Yeah, I, I don't think it's going to be easy. Uh, that's for sure. I mean, what, what are we looking at? There's talking about, you know, if we have 1% of the crowd is European, that's a lot. Um, you know, obviously with the travel restrictions, nobody from Europe can get in, which is a, a real problem. It really is. Um, going into the lines then in America is never easy. Um, you know, can it be to our advantage? I think it's to the advantage if we can get pressure on them, as you say. What the, what the Solan Cup team did was... They applied pressure early. They put America behind the eight ball by getting quite a big lead from the first session. And uh, it obviously dampens the crowd a little bit and, and uh, it puts the American players under more pressure. So obviously that's going to be uh, plan A to get off to a three and a half, uh, a half lead or a four nil lead, something like that. But uh, that's obviously going to be a very difficult thing to do. But the whole thing is going to, it's going to be a narrative all week. There's no doubt um, that, that, American, uh, that American noise and crowd and the patriotism that they have is, is going to be uh, something that we're going to have to counteract. And again, it comes from the captain down, how are we going to deal with it? And watching the Solheim Cup team, it was very interesting. It, it wasn't just about getting a lead, and, and, but it was humility that they showed a lot. You know, they, they never overreacted or were over-exuberant in holding pots. They didn't want to incite the crowd. It was obviously a strategy. Um, there was a, a you know a little bit of a fist pump now and again, but it was it was all kind of controlled. There was no big exuberance uh, that we might have seen uh, in previous Ryder Cups or Solheim's uh, as as an away team. Mm. So that's probably the strategy. That and that's premeditated, really, is it? Oh, yeah, that, that, is that would have been discussed. Yeah, yeah. It was certainly something I talked about to Leona before she went. Yeah, and on like it's a lonely place to be, like at a Ryder Cup away, out on your own on a golf course with not many crowds around you, especially in singles. And like it really is, guys can wilt under some sort of that pressure. It's a it's, it is a tough. Oh yeah, well, playing away from home is certainly three or four times tougher than it is playing at home. There's n- that's clear. You know? I remember my first Ryder Cup actually that I went to was two thousand and four over in Oakland Hills, and that was it was just phenomenal. The atmosphere was phenomenal. Yeah, but how you guys silenced that yeah. crowd from day one and just kept just kept going, going, going. Like it's just yeah, it was. Uh it was, yeah, that was great. I mean, Bern Langer was the captain there. It was, um, you know, looking back on it now, we had a strategy for the crowd that week. It was something he talked a lot about. Um, and it was something that, uh, you know, we got a good start. I mean, Podrick and Monty taking down Mon- um, Phil and, and Tiger, Tiger in that yeah. first game. Strong as old rope. Yeah, that. and, and I, I think that certainly, I, I was playing in the fourth game that day with Luke Donald, and we certainly fed off the fact that their top two big guns were being taken down. And um, a bit like the Solheim you said a couple of we- a couple of minutes ago, getting off to that good start and and uh, you know putting the crowd as well on the back foot as well as the team, um, that's obviously Plan A. But that doesn't mean it's going to do that. If if that doesn't happen, we still got to still have a strategy around it. And your thoughts on the picks? Obviously, it's been de- it's been debated to death at this stage. But were they the three that you would have favoured yourself if you were captain? Yeah, I don't think he can argue with any of the picks, to be honest. Um, I, I think he could maybe argue that uh, Party could have had one more pick or two more picks, and, and Justin Rose obviously is the big miss. We'd like to have him in it. But, you know, in terms of the three picks, there's validation for all three being play, uh, played, strong validation for them all being played. And, you know, the, the late run and dash to the line by such a stalwart that Justin Rose in obviously caused them uh, a dilemma. And I know the meeting wasn't a straightforward one at the end. It took several hours before they came to the conclusion of who the three picks were. Um, so... But, you know, as Ryder Cup captain, it's never easy. There's always going to be some something thrown into the apple cart at the last moment and you have to, uh, you know, make a call. So Podrick's obviously made a call and uh, 
we'll, we'll wait and see. As I say, in an ideal world, we would have loved to have uh, Justin Rose in, in the team as well, but that wasn't a B. Four into three wasn't going to go, and, and th- three picks had to be made, and, and he's went with three. And you can't really argue with the three, to be honest. You know, the, the fact that Sergio's played well over the summer, uh, as well as Poulter, and, and then Shane being one of our, our top leading performers as well as an open champion and a guy who should be suited to the test. We spoke about the crosswinds and stuff. Should be suited uh, well to the test at Whistling Straits is. Uh, makes him pretty much for me. I, I always felt that once he had form and which he did during the summer, that even going into last week, I, I think even if he'd have missed the cut last week, I, I do feel he would have been a deserve pick. Pork has spoken about a lot about the dynamic in the team room and that sort of was the narration around a lot of the picks that he had, like strong guys that he's picking to bring into that team room. From your Ryder Cups, was was Justin a little bit quieter than a Sergio and a, and a Poulter in that team room? And do you think that had a little bearing on Pork thinking of maybe the off-the-golf course stuff? I don't think so. I no? don't think so. No, I, it takes all kinds. You know, Ian Poulter is, everybody thinks Ian Poulter is a, you know, a Braveheart type of guy standing on the chair, shouting at everybody, screaming, fully passionate behind the scenes. Opposite. Harley speaks, quiet as a mouse, sitting down the back with his hoodie on, listening to the meetings, very focused, um, goes and does his gym stuff, goes his physio stuff, um, doesn't do the table tennis and all the stuff that the rest of the guys do, uh, is focused for the week and goes about his business in a quiet way. And yes, you know, that energy then comes out on the golf course. Um, so there's different different you know, guys in a team room, you know. I mean, Monty, for example, you know, Monty had a lot to say in a team room, um, you know. Um, and then, you know, other guys didn't have a lot to say. And it takes all kinds. And, and uh, I don't think that counted against Justin Rose. I think the fact that counted against the most was the fact that he had a poor summer. I know he two top tens in major championships, but... You know, finishing outside the top 125 on American money list, um, you know, is obviously not the standard of player uh, of play that you'd expect from Justin Rose. So obviously he struggled with that. Yes, he's come into form a little bit in the last month, but uh, ultimately, you know, Podrick obviously felt there was three guys more deserving of a pick. Would you bring him as a vice captain, Justin? Yeah, uh, I do, Yeah, I, you could absolutely. I don't know what Podrick's thinking is and, and how he's going to blend it in. Obviously, Henrik Stenson hasn't been announced either, and he'd be a guy you'd be thinking of. Um, so I don't know what way Podic yeah. is thinking in that regard. Um, I'm sure he's having conversations behind the scenes, and, and in time he will add it. But the other thing to bear in mind as well, particularly in these COVID times, you know, we, we may have to bring him in. You know, I mean, there's incredibly strict protocols. I know I'm kind of part of them. I'm, I'm staying in the team hotel, and the protocols around staying there are incredibly strict and obviously slow because of, uh, you know, we can't afford anybody to get COVID and then potentially spread it within the team. Imagine the repercussions there. So, uh, you know, the chances of, of a pick, of, of sorry, not of a pick, but chances of a substitute having to be brought in, whether it be for Brooks Kepko with uh, with an injury yeah. or whether it be somebody getting COVID or whatever the case may be, are higher, high, yeah. are higher than they've ever been before. So it's something that I'm sure Podic has spoken to Justin about. Uh, if he is the odd man out and... Uh, you know, to keep practicing over the next week or two because you never know what, what may end up. So that's what you got to do. You got to think laterally, and uh, there's probably nobody better thinking laterally <laughs> uh, than I can think than Patrick Harrington. So we've like Wentworth's out of the way now. John Ram's playing at Napa this week. I've seen most of the European guys were pushing really, really hard at Wentworth. And we looked the other side of the Atlantic, and Team USA were having a get together session at Whistling Straits, getting on site, bit of team bonding going on. It really is a little advantage that they have to get that early prep in. Oh, well, we've always had that, to be honest. You know, we, you look at Paris three years ago now, um, every one of our players had played multiple times in the French Open around that golf course. Uh, every one of our players had finished 11th or better in the French Open. Several of our team had won around that golf course. 
we knew it inside out, back to front, upside down, uh, and the Americans didn't. And ultimately, that was the determining factor between the two teams there, yeah. the golf course. The golf course separated the two teams. Um, so home advantage, as I say, it's not just the crowd. It's a familiarity with the golf course in particular. And But bearing in mind the Whistling Straits too, you look back over the, over the years of, of the major championships that were played there, PGAs, and Jason Day won the last one, and Martin Keimer's won around there as European. My best ever performance in a major was there, so it was the kind of golf course that suited me with those crosswinds, as I say, and that ability to control the ball, which is kind of my skill set way back in the uh, 2005, I think it was, 2004. And and um, so, you know, Rory has played well around there. So Europeans have had pretty, you know, pretty decent success around that golf course. Um, so, and a lot of us are familiar with it. You know, most of the team would have played in uh, in 2000, and uh, when was it when Jason Day won? 15, yeah, 15 was it? I think, 15, yeah. yeah. 15, yeah. Um, you know, a lot of the team would have played around there, and I'd be familiar. Certainly, guys like Sergio and Lee would have played it many, many times. And as a past captain, what are your thoughts on the qualification process going so close down, like with so much at stake at Wentworth, so many permutations that were playing out, and uncertainty for not just the players in the golf course, but the management and 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 stuff like that. It it was tough. It was tough to watch. It was tough to be part of. I'm sure for Porrick, and it was tough for Shane and 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 Burnt coming down the stretch there as well. Yeah, you know, the process is what it is. And, and um, you know, one of the first things you do as a captain is uh, you sit down and you nail down the, what the qualification process is and, and you have a strong uh, input into what it's going to be. And uh, Patrick had a view that uh, the best way of preparing for the team was to really stress test them close to the um, close to the Ryder Cup, particularly the guys who were on the periphery. He wanted to see who could handle the pressure only a few weeks before the Ryder Cup, who could handle being in the team, where the form was, who was going to push themselves in. And, and he wanted that scenario. He kind of constructed that con- scenario for himself. Um, uh, and, and, and that's what he wanted. And, you know, as one of the best competitors that we've ever seen, certainly in, from a European point of view, you know, uh, he's a great believer, obviously, in, in competitiveness. And he's a great believer in preparing uh, for major championships in a competitive way, not just going to you know, the K-Club for three weeks before the Ryder Cup and a nice, beautiful weather and just practicing in nice, easy, no condi- you know, no, no uh, pressure situation. He feels, no, I want to stress test the team. I want to put them into the, into the heat of battle, the guys who are on the periphery and see what they've got. And, and uh, that's the way it turned out. So uh, I, I think post-Ryder Cup, obviously we can look back at that. The next Ryder Cup captain will have a view on, on the qualification process, but this is how Patrick wanted it. Uh, we have to respect that he's the captain. And... Um, he has his 12 players now, and, and he put them through the ringer, a lot of them through the ringer yeah. last week. And how they perform in the Ryder Cup, maybe, you know, Bernd Fiesberg, you'd have to say, for example, is going to go to that Ryder Cup in a much better frame of mind yeah. than he would have been by, you know, getting in the team three weeks ago and then having a five-week window where, where he was just kind of getting ready. It's like uh, winning a tournament for him. He's really got up there and well, just Well, he handled the pressure, in. didn't he? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he handled the pressure. He was outside the cut line, remember, with yeah. nine holes to go, where he had to make the cut to make the team minimum. Um, and he found a way of shooting four under par on the back nine on Friday afternoon to make the cut, to keep the fact that his Ryder Cup hopes were alive, because we all know he wasn't going to be a pick if he'd have missed the team. And that's good for your confidence. That's yeah. good for his confidence, and he's going to feel good about his position on the team, and the fact that he earned a spot on the team, it wasn't given to him. Three captain's picks versus six, and now we've gone into that a bit. But the Ryder Cup, a, lot that, a lot's narrated by the golf course as well, you said. Do you think, like... We're coming to a stage at the Ryder Cup where we need like a an impartial, independent body that looks after Ryder Cup and takes the teams, as in it's the same selection process for both as in wildcard picks, but then looks at the golf course and di- someone else sets up the golf course, not the home team. 
Yeah, there's been talk about that going around, um, but there's also an alternative view that the variables are good, you know, and they're talking points, and uh, they create for a good product, let's call it that, uh, uh, on TV, and a good narrative on TV, and, you know, that's really what it's about now, it's about eyeballs, many people watch, many people interact on social media, you know, who many people have debates on certain things, whether that be they have six picks and we have three, or whether it's been how they set up the golf course, are going to make the fairways wide, they're going to make the fairways soft, we're going to make the fairways tight, and we're going to have more rough, and, yeah, you know, there is the alternative view that that it's good to have the variables. So um, we don't want to sanitize the Ryder Cup, you know, and, and we want to have a lot of talking points around it. So, as I say, there's two sides to that argument. The pairings is going to be a tough one. Like, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of variables in that team that you can pair together. Like, we might even see an all-Irish pairing. We might see Rory and Shane come out the first morning. Looking at um, the team setup itself, what what do you like as pairings? What what sits well with you looking at that um, that European team that have... Well, I, I think if you look at the two teams um, in, in isolation, um, the two contrasting teams, you've got a very young American team. As I say, I, I read a, one, one of the research things that we've come across is that Lee Westwood has played more Ryder Cup matches than the whole American team combined. Um, so you've got one very inexperienced team and you've got one very experienced team. Um, that doesn't mean the experienced team is going to win, obviously, but certainly going away from home, it's going to be a big advantage having so much experience. Um, you look at the pairings and you look at the fact that we have a lot of water under the bridge with pairings that have worked in the past um, and styles of players that have that have worked well together. The statistics team um, behind that sits behind Europe, uh, which Partick has employed, the same one as, as Thomas Bjorn had, um, called 15th Club, and they, um, they had a huge input in Thomas Bjorn Bjorn's pairings uh, because they were using statistics to put the guys together not just blending the personalities they were using statistics to put the teams together to put the pairings together to blend them to the golf course and you know where the par threes fall and who's a good iron player or where the big par fives are where you need a big hitter hitting and then you put a you know somebody who's going to put more with that and they'll have all of these algorithms figured out and you know part of what he's like with numbers yeah. and figures and <laughs> algorithms and stuff he'll love all that so there will be a strategy behind the pairings. It won't just be, ah, oh, Pardick's are, are, you know, uh, Rory's Irish, Shane's Irish, yeah. uh, experience, inexperience, and when it comes to write a couple, let's put them together. It's far, far more detailed than that. Uh, and Pardick, being the analytical type, will be delving in there with the statistics teams to come up with scenarios. And then, of course, the personalities are blended in uh, on top of that and, and discussions are had with the players. So it's not just hit and miss anymore. It's not just written on the back of a you know, a fa old proverbial fag packet and oh, let's try these two tomorrow. They should be all right. Or they're from the same country. They should get on well. It's way, way, way more detailed than that. And, and those pairings seem to, as the Ryder Cup, as we get deeper into the tournament as well, not that the stats go out the window, but it's more what's happening on the course reactor. Like I'm sure Leona didn't expect to go to the Solheim Cup and play five matches. That that I don't I don't know it might have been a planned thing but I doubt that was a planned thing I'd say she was down for two three matches and she you just couldn't keep her off the golf course and when those situations park themselves in front of you then is that as a captain have you faced that where you just couldn't leave someone out in Glen Eagles yeah of course you ride it you ride you ride the wave when it's going um, I learned that from Christy Junior way years ago when I came on tour great advice that he gave me when I was just on tour he said Paul. You're going to have ups and downs in your career and there's going to be times when it's going for you and, you know, you hit it in the woods and you got a shot to the, to the green. And then you're going to have times when nothing is going for you and no matter how good you play, you can't seem to get below 70. You can't seem to get in the leaderboard. And he said, my advice to you is when it's going for you, when, when the wave, ride the wave. 
And if it means playing seven, eight, nine tournaments in a row, do it. Um, just don't stop because it's your schedule allows it. Um, you know, and, and if it's not going for you, give yourself more breaks. Um, so it's the same when it comes. To, I've never forgotten that advice. It was good advice, and, and it was the same when it comes to the Ryder Cup. And, and you know, one of the you look back to two thousand and twelve, the miracle in Medina, and you know, one of the things that the criticisms that Davis Love got afterwards as the captain was, you know, we had Mickelson and Keegan Bradley uh, winning the first three matches, absolutely steamrolling guys, not just winning. They had something going that week. And Davis at the time did what he thought was logical. Two players on form, giving them a rest on Saturday afternoon so they'd be fresh for the singles. And uh, he rested them. Uh, and then, you know, both went out the next day in the singles and didn't win their game. And the the view in hindsight and, and the criticism in hindsight was you had three guys on fire, beating everybody out of sight, incredible dynamic going on keep riding that wave, put them out in the next session. If it meant both of them playing five matches, do it. And in fairness to, to uh, Katrina Matthew, the captain of the Sideline Cup, she did that with Leona. She saw, she saw where she was at. She saw the vibrancy that she was bringing. She saw the energy level that she had. And she said, this girl, I can't let her off the team. Uh, and uh, it proved to be a, a good decision. A lot has been made of the disharmony in the US camp. I think it's probably a little bit, overblown and stuff like that but surely this isn't exclusively an american thing like if you have 12 of the top guys egos in the team room and you can you have 12 guys you can even play eight of them the, f- the first you, you really find out the dynamic of a team when you have to tell lads listen you have to sit this one out and these are the reasons why or you're not doing this that's that's a difficult process throughout the week oh yeah it's 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 easy telling the lads are playing the hard ones is telling the lads they're not playing um and having reasons why yeah, I mean, I, I had a strategy around that. Um, one of them was I, I brought in a fifth vice captain, which was the first time somebody had brought in a fifth vice captain, and that was the idea. Um, one one vice captain following each game. Um, me, to be honest, in TV, watching most of it in TV in the team room, a little bit on the golf course, but not a whole lot. My job wasn't to tell the guys how to play their game. I didn't need to be on the golf course, but I did need feedback from the players, or for, sorry, from the vice captains on the course. So to be honest, once they all went off the first tee, I retreated mostly back into um, into the team room and watched a lot of it on TV unfold and, and, and was getting feedback on my radio. Um, so so that was a strategy, having a fifth vice captain that was, was looking after the four guys who were not in the golf course and making them feel, not making them feel second rate. Because um, I know that from my own experience. You know, never one, been one of the superstars in the teams that I played in. I was a guy who always played three out of five matches and was rested for a couple of sessions. And I know what it's like to be that soldier and you can feel when the team goes out the first morning you're not part of it that you know you're a sub and you're coming in, in the afternoon and and so I made a big effort of of uh of communicating that to the players that this we were going to win this Ryder Cup certainly when I was captain we were going to win this Ryder Cup not by going out of the blocks getting a big lead and keep playing our same players over and over we were going to win it with 12 players and a rotation policy and if we don't hit them with the first wave, we hit them with the second. If we don't hit them with the second, we hit them with the third. And we keep having waves of attack. And, and Lee Westwood, for example, I wanted him to play three games, and Graham McDowell. And they were playing in the afternoon session. Two stalwarts of the, of, of, of the team, two guys with massive hearts, but guys that I felt would be more suited to, to, to playing in the afternoon sessions. Um, and I got both of them to, you know, I certainly got Lee to lead out. And, uh, you know, you're, you're leading the second wave of attack. You're not playing in the morning, not because I'm putting the best eight players out and you're number nine, far from it. You're suited to this. You're a second wave of attack and we, we got to win the after, we got to win the afternoon session and you're leading out the afternoon session. So, you know, there's a different framing there of what goes on and, and that's all comes down to communication. Do you think that this harmony that is discussed in the US team, do you think 
I don't. Do you think that'll affect them at all? Do you think they'll gel really well as a team? I don't think it's a big problem. The media will make a big deal out of yeah. it. You're going to see more and more of it. You know, the Brooks and the Bryson thing, and you know all of that. Obviously, Patrick Reed is not part of it um, th- this year. At the moment, he's not anyway. Unless unless Brooks gets injured, he might be brought back into the equation. Um, but I, I think it's a little bit overblown how bad their disharmony is behind the scenes. Um, I think they're they're a team that uh, that get on quite well, and and I think they're a team young, as I said earlier, young and vibrant that are going to be uh, very difficult to bring down. They're really good players, and I'm just hoping that it's not going to be um, warm, humid, soft fairways with no wind, because yeah. <laughs> that's going to play into the hands of them because they're the conditions they play week in, week out on the PGA Tour. And if uh, Kopka doesn't make it, who would you bring in? I know Billy Horschel's kind of jumped up onto a pedestal there at the weekend. He seemed pretty upset that he didn't even get a phone call off yeah. Steve Stricker after he didn't get selected. Um, would he be someone you'd look at? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I, I would have looked at him in the first place. Of course, he's won the world the world match play back in March. And you remember that? And that was played in Texas and, and um, you know, be actually Scotty Scheffler in the final, I believe. And, and yeah, of course he is. I mean, he's, he's a guy now who's won one of our biggest events. He's the one American came over and... Uh, Took our biggest title away back across yeah. the Atlantic with us, um, but it shows you the quality of picks that Steve had at, at his disposable that he wasn't that his disposal he wasn't able you know didn't even have to make a phone call to him because he obviously had three or four guys in mind before he even came to Horschel. So obviously Reed comes back into the equation there as well. Horschel comes back into the equation even though he didn't get a phone call the first time around. Webb Simpson um, again just has set just outside the team and and again a guy you, you know a big name player with a with a big CV and good form just missed the team he's got to be in it a young guy called Sam Burns uh, there's a lot of talk in America about so I think you know he's got options he's got huge options and great options and uh, doesn't to us it doesn't make if Brooks does I don't think if, if Brooks misses the team it's going to be a massive blow to the American team I think they got such quality that they can bring somebody in to take his place. We started off with a bookie's odds on a question <laughs> that you brought up. Finally, I suppose, to end it up, how do you think this will pan out? Oh, well, obviously I'm hoping for a European victory, but I, I do think the conditions have to kind of work a bit in our favour. Um, I think we are up against it, there's no doubt about that. It's it's uh, one of the most difficult Ryder Cups we've ever faced, certainly in my time, uh, that we're going to try and win here. We're going against uh, a, a young, vibrant American team that's fresh, um, playing at home with 99.9% of the crowd in their favour. This is going to be really, really difficult. But, you know, we've been in bigger holes than this. You know, Miracle at Medina, we, we got ourselves out of it. Uh, and, and, you know, we galvanised ourselves a, against all of the odds. Uh, it's part of our DNA in Europe. Um, we've got a lot of players in there who were part of Medina and know that DNA. Um, yes, they're a bit longer down the road in terms of age, but they haven't lost, uh, you know, what, what Ryder Cups are all about. And, um, you know, there's a lot of dynamics going on in the Ryder Cup that don't normally go on on a week-to-week basis. You know, you got the four balls, you got the foursomes, you got the singles rotation, you got the team dynamic behind the scenes. Um, all of those things go in that the players are not really used to. As great as the American players are, it's something that they're not really used to, and a lot of them are going to experience that for the first time. Whereas we're well versed in that. Um, and so again, you know, that when there's something new and there's some change going on, it always creates a little bit of instability. So that's going to be another factor that the Americans are going to have to cope with. But uh, I think all in all, I think the bookies have got it kind of right, to be honest. You know, we're two to one, they're one to two. We're up against it, but don't discount us. That expectation, that's got to weigh heavy on them. Yeah, it is, absolutely. And particularly, you know, after getting beaten as badly as they did in in uh, in, in Paris with the huge win that we had in Paris and, and the fact that, uh, you know, this task force has been in place. Uh, and uh, even with the task force in place, they lost by a bigger margin than they lost in Glen Eagles. And it's like, 
Okay, let's see uh, where we're at with this task force. And I think it could be disbanded if they don't win this one because they really do seem to be learning their lessons and they do seem to have a young team and, and uh, seem to be um, approaching it in a different way than I have done in the past. So they're very, very formidable. Let's make no doubt about that. But as I say, don't discount us. Allianz Brand Ambassador Paul McGinley, thanks a million for your time. Pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Thank you.